As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. This week's podcast is brought to you in part by Seabrook Performance. Luke and the guys at Seabrook Performance are prepared to tackle any performance engine or carburetor projects you have. Stay tuned for more on what Seabrook Performance can do for you. Today's podcast is also brought to you in part by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing design and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. With more than 50 years of experience in drag racing, BTE has been a trendsetter and innovator, placing themselves and their customers ahead of the pack. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. This week on What Everyone is Talking About. All right, Luke, uh, what everyone is talking about and certainly what you just talked about a little bit in the intro is Rambo swinging for 100 and actually 101 all at the same time in uh, Comp Eliminator and Superstock respectively. And unfortunately, both times coming up with a miss. Uh, that was I was really looking forward to him at least getting 100 and then got excited about possibly 100 and 101 at the same time, but unfortunately didn't work out. Yeah, we talked, I think last week on Rampy getting 99 when he won in St. Louis and how long it felt like at least Dan Fletcher was hung up on 99. It seemed like that went on a couple of months and there was speculation, you know, that the pressure of 100 is getting to him. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that if you've won 99 national events, there's probably not much pressure that gets to you in a race car. So there's probably at least fairly unsubstantiated, but 
to your point, David Rampey rolling through the field at Dallas, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. As far as the sportsmen were concerned, the national event in Dallas was kind of a mess. Ended up stretching deep into Monday. But Rambo rolls to the final round of both Superstock and Competition Eliminator. Lost a good race to Brandon Bakey's in the final of Superstock. I think they were both 30. Looked like Rambo dropped to two above. Bakey's is dead on. The uncharacteristic run was the comp final where he was squared off against Clint Neff. And that's a round that has significant points implications. As we've talked about before on the show, David Rampey makes nearly every national event on the tour. So he's long since been out of points earning opportunities on the national stage. He is in contention for the world championship with a couple of division races left. Also in contention, very much so now after Dallas was his final round opponent, Clint Neff. In that final, Rambo is a very uncharacteristic 118 on the tree. Goes 50 under and looks like shutting off on yeah. the drop. Clinton F-17, solid throughout. So not sure what happened there to Rambo in the final. Definitely uncharacteristic. But you talk about getting the rug pulled out from under you. I mean, you know that the NHRA officials are sitting there with the, the banner waiting to hold up You know, David Rampey, 100 wins, hand him the trophy, and he's got two shots and cannot grace the winner's circle in either one. So 100 will have to wait for David's sake. I hope it's just a week and it happens in Charlotte. Yeah, likewise. Uh, I mean, and you talked about how uncharacteristic the little late bulb was. It's almost one of those where you you think that person feels like they have it in the bag. You know, it's the old sit on it completely reaction time. And, and maybe he just felt like Neff wasn't going to put up a, a good enough number or had something hurt or something. I don't know. It's just very uncharacteristic. So, hey, to see Rambo miss that one that way, you know, super stock, that, uh, that's just one of those deals there. It was a, it was a decent run, both lanes. But uh, I hated to see him come up short, but definitely, hopefully, that is short-lived and he gets another opportunity very quickly and, and capitalizes. As it pertains to Competition Eliminator, which, again, is a class that we don't spend a lot of time discussing here on the Sports and Drag Racing podcast, but it is arguably, and as per usual, I'll take a little bit deeper dive into some NHRA points as we go on throughout the show. It's a lot of classes that are just getting more and more jumbled. But comp may be the most intriguing title chase of them all. I think it was last week I talked about how the top three and now the top four with Clint Neff's win are arguably the four most recognizable names in the class. Maybe maybe Bruno Massel should be in there, and he's not this year, but it's Frank Aragona leading, Clint Neff now second with his win at Dallas, David Rampey third, Craig Bourgeois fourth, and those four are separated by 23 points. That's less than three rounds of competition, all with the exception of Aragona, who's leading with opportunities left on the table uh, at the upcoming races, which now there are only, what, half a dozen races left on the schedule, National Divisional combined. So that is going to be super intriguing to keep up with. Again, Aragona in the lead, but I don't think there's any way that he can feel good about a less than two-round lead over that trio of competitors coming after him. No, definitely some heavy hitters in there, and Rambo needs to perform like Rambo and, and try to get this next championship and hopefully, again, gets that number 100 along the way and 
even uh, makes it a little more special if it propels him forward to hold on to another championship season. So looking forward to seeing how that plays out, Luke. For sure. Had Rambo turned on either one of those final round win lights, much less both, he would have been a shoe-in for this week's BTE Who's Hot. With the double runner-up, we were actually forced to go in a little bit different direction, Big Jed. He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. BTE staff is selected directly from the racing community. From sales to manufacturing, each member of their staff is a performance enthusiast. With multiple world championships and number one qualifiers, they offer expert professional technical advice for your racing operation. See our staff directory. Our commitment to your success is part of our own. Luke, this week's BTE Who's Hot is, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily the hottest driver that's got the most round wins in the past two, three weeks or whatever. It was a big win, but it has a special story tied to it. Uh, This week's BTE Who's Hot is Soggy Dunn. Soggy from uh, up in uh, Pennsylvania area attended the uh, Door Wars uh, footbreak race at Maple Grove this past weekend, where he collected the $10,000 payday, besting very, very good bottom bubber, a great one, as a matter of fact, and Denny McCloskey. Soggy, very well known for his bottom bulb and top bulb efforts, a great racer in his own right, gets a $10,000 payday. That's a big deal, especially for hitting the bottom, foot breaking. But what makes it a little extra special is Soggy, I believe it was about three weeks ago. I should have known exactly, but it was all over three weeks ago. Suffered from a mild heart attack. Was put in the hospital. And I would think you think maybe at that point, being this close to the end of the year, your season's over. But Soggy showed significant improvements. Started feeling really good. The doctor cleared him right before this race. Obviously, he's a racer. He gets out, goes to door wars. Uh, Guys just coming off of who knows what kind of uh, medical attention and treatment and changes that's being made in his life in a three-week span, jumps right back in the race car, goes to work, and gets a huge $10,000 payday in a very talented and big field at door wars at Maple Grove. Super performance there for Soggy Dunn, getting him the BT who's hot. Yeah, as you mentioned, maybe not the most dominant performance of the last couple of weeks, but probably the best story. And you mentioned overcoming the the physical issues that go along with that and just think along the the lines of the emotional hurdles. And, you know, I would just assume that something like that puts life in general in a little bit different perspective. And uh, to be able to come out and perform doing what you love, obviously, I would assume the majority of the racetrack rooting him on, particularly in the late rounds. Cool story. I'm glad to see, too, Jed, that that race in general looked like it had a massive turnout. You had mentioned off air how uh, Andy Anderson and the the crew up there does a great job promoting and running that race. And also, to your point, and I'll let you um, go on the results because I know these are mostly your boys in footbreak, but these are a lot of very recognizable names, particularly on the Northeast footbreak scene. Yeah, you know, there's a ton of talent up in that part of the country, and it's good to see them get a great race to attend and, and see Andy and the gang at Maple Grove put on such a, an awesome event for the footbreak racers. But very well attended. They get some 
good sponsorship, good support up in there. So great to see them have a really good race where they don't have to, to burn up the fuel card to get to a good race, a good paying race. But they started out Friday with a, with a 5K, the Gibblers trailer sales, $5,000 to win race, had 204 entries in that. And as you mentioned, starts right out with uh, some very well-known names going to the final round as Dave Harvey Jr. collected the $5,000 check over Brad Northrup. In a true start affected final round, Dave leaves first, goes 001 red, Brad behind him goes 002 red. True start puts the win in Dave Harvey Jr.'s lane to get those guys started. Uh, they had a gambler's race after that, 2,000 to win, where uh, 58 competitors got in that. Dan Wally, uh, another great bottom bulb competitor from Pennsylvania, gets the win over Clayton Garber. They rolled right into Saturday, where we talked about uh, the Scotch Transmission Center, $10,000 win race. And Soggy Dunn, again, I said from up in Pennsylvania, he's from Pottstown, Pennsylvania, got the win over the always tough and impressive Denny McCloskey. Big final round for those guys. Great to see, again, Soggy coming off of that medical event and, and getting a huge win there. They followed that loop with a $2,000 to win gambler's race again on Saturday where they had 83 entrants. And Bud McNasby, another extremely well-known, talented bottom ball bracer from up in New Jersey, gets the win over Tyler Weicker. And they wrapped up Sunday with the C2 Converters $7,500 to win race where 192 entries stuck around to compete on the final day. And again, another star-studded final round here with Brock Mosier, a guy that has won just about everything there is to win. He's actually hitting the top some now. And, uh, he, you know, we talked about him earlier in the year. He said uh, he's got a sticker on his car, talked about who uh, runs delay boxes, what kind of person runs delay boxes. So I guess Brock pulled it. Went to the final round, got him 7,500 over the young uh, gun that we'll talk about again here in a little bit, Matt Richeza. And that wrapped up a huge event, and that was Door Wars, a footbreak experience there at Maple Grove where Soggy Dunn gets the BT Who's Hot in a $10,000 win and just, uh, again, another all-star field of talented footbreakers competing at that event. Yeah, Jed, I'll transition from there into something that we mentioned briefly in the open, and that was me bemoaning the fact that I'm getting old, and this appears to very much be a young man's game. Case in point, <laughs> from the Maple Grove weekend, you mentioned uh, Matt Richeza with the uh, runner-up to Brock Mosier, and also Brad Northrup, who's in uh, two final rounds of the weekend. A couple of young guns there, and that was a trend for the weekend. One of your boys, Big Jed, uh, Christopher Martin, who's probably not – he's a little older than half my age, I think, but not much. He got his, I think, biggest win to date with the win at Bowling Green. Do you want to go into the details? of that now or do you want to save it for 10 tuck results because this is a pretty good story as well well we probably need to save that for 10 tuck results tie all that together but it is a really good story (laughs) (laughs) that that's what we call a tease in the business Corey Galetti, young gun who we've talked about uh, repeatedly specifically within the last month he squared off repeatedly on um what was that saturday night at Rockingham at the uh, $100,000 to win SFG race. Corey Galetti and Kyle Coltrera put on a show. And Kyle Coltrera doesn't qualify as one of the teenagers, but he's a younger guy. I think Kyle's in his 20s. 
Maybe. Right. Yeah, Maybe. I think he's yeah. around 30, yeah. The way that this played out, looking at the detailed results, and keep in mind this was at the SFG event that boasted well over 500 entries, ran into the wee hours of the morning, paid $100,000 to win, and as you would expect, played host to some of, if not the best racers in the nation, top to bottom. As that field of 560 got whittled down to less than 16, the round of eight dragsters remaining... Kyle Coltrera and Corey Glitty accounted for half of them. They had two entries each. That mm. round, they both won on their first entry and came back around to square off. And that round, Kyle got the best of young Corey. So now we're down to four dragsters. Kyle Coltrera represents two of them. Corey Glitty's still in once. Kyle wins his first entry comes back around to square off with Corey for the second consecutive round. This time, Corey gets the nod to advance to the final against none other than Kyle Coltrera for the third consecutive round. Those two square off in the rubber match. Kyle gets the win, moves on to the final, ends up losing to Jason Lynch. But just another example of the young guns getting it done on the at the highest level. Transfer over to the Division II bracket finals down in Reynolds, Georgia. And Gage Birch, who, again, another name that we've talked about repeatedly here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. I guess if you compare this to last year's bracket finals, where Gage Birch had <laughs> won four Wallies in one day. In comparison, this was a down year. Gage Birch won three Wallies at this year's Division II ET Finals will discuss the details of how he pulled that together shortly. And at that same event, Seth Bevins, another young second-generation racer, Georgia native, correct? Yeah, he is from South Georgia. Kenny Bevins, his father, Kenny, very successful in his own right and has shown Seth the way for sure. Seth advanced to the final round in the, I believe it was the Pro Race of Champions, which he won, and also the high school, uh, I don't know if you call that Race of Champions, but the high school contest at the Division II ET Finals, where he lost to <laughs> the aforementioned Gage Birch. These are, again, most of the racers that we just talked about are half my age or under, and are just... Uh, putting their best foot forward at the highest levels of our sport. It's really, really cool to watch. Yeah, the the young guns, as you talked about, you know, and Luke, you, you talked about how you started at 14. I started at 13. By the time I was 20 and you were 20, we had been racing six or seven years. Well, these 18 to 20-year-olds have been racing for 12 years and sometimes even a little bit longer if they might have snuck in early. Uh, at their little outlaw tracks. So, you know, it, it stands to reason they would be more talented at this age than either of us were. But the talent gap between where I was at this age and where they are is uh, just huge. Uh, very, very talented young drivers that know the game, know what decisions to make, know how to change their racing strategies up to whatever they think needs to be done to win the round. So, We've got, you know, a lot of a lot of talking about these guys ahead of us over the years, and a lot more young talent coming into the sport every day. So the, I think the future of our sport is very bright. 
For sure. And I wonder, just thinking out loud as as you were talking about that, Jed, if some of this, because what impresses me most about, say, watching Corey Galletti or reading about Brad Northrup to single those guys out is just they're seemingly unflappable in big situations that, especially at that age, you would think are high stakes, you know, you're subject to make a mistake due to the pressure. And I just wonder if some of that's not a direct result of not only the years of experience in the junior dragster ranks, but the uh, amount of bigger junior races that have been established over the course of the last decade. These kids are no stranger to racing for bigger money or, you know, national championship. Like there's a lot of big pressure packed events in the junior ranks and going through that at say age, 13, 14, 15, how could that not prepare you for staging up for a $10,000, $20,000 national event final at 17 or 18? Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Really good point. And uh, these kids have staged in more final rounds at, at 18 years old than, than I had probably by the time I was 30. So yeah, I think the more times you stage in those settings, especially what the junior category is offering the young generation today, I think it just prepares you a little bit better each time and, and you get a little more accustomed to it and the moment doesn't phase you quite as much. So that's probably a lot of validity to, to the thought process you got there. So, Luke, let's transition from there into the division uh, to Summit ET Finals on the NHRA side at Silver Dollar Raceway. Since we're talking about these young guns, this guy's not necessarily a young gun, but he has been, and he just continues to win. The Super Pro uh, main event there was won by Jeremy Hancock, our buddy Hancock, getting it done over Michael Brown. So good to see Jeremy getting the big win I, I saw on Facebook, where he said this was kind of a bucket list thing for him winning the bracket final. So I'm glad to see him get to check that off the list over in the pro category. Matt Ward got the win over Derek Putnam, my buddy DP, getting him a final round there. I think uh, DP's won the division championship before and almost had a repeat there. In the sportsman category, Earl Talley got the win over Tracy Sykes. And Super Pro Motorcycle was Jerry, or excuse me, John Markham getting a win over a name that's very familiar to the motorcycle final rounds at the division finals. This time it was Candy Hagedorn. Getting a uh, coming up a thou short, I think I saw on Facebook mm-hmm. of going to Pomona, but Candy with a big final round there. John Markham getting that win in the junior dragster category. Advanced, as you said, was Gage Birch getting the win over Katrina Carpenter, and intermediate junior dragster was Carly Bynum getting the win over Cody Owens, and the novice was uh, Joshua Gouge over Forrest Redford and. I guess, well, we got uh, some race of champions results here. Yeah, and this was really where the youth domination came in. Uh, Maybe not so much in Super Pro, where uh, Kelly Hicks got the race of champions win over Hank Wilhelm. The Pro ET final we discussed, that was Seth Bevins, the aforementioned Seth Bevins, getting the win over our buddy, friend of the podcast, Steve Foley, in the Cook Vega Matic wagon. Yeah, (laughs) sweet ride there for Foley and almost getting him a Pro ET Race of champions, but again, the young gun, Seth Bevins, uh, and this kid staged in a ton of final rounds, so I'm sure the moment wasn't too big for him as he showed there. And Luke in the sportsman category, race of champions, Dickie Forrester got the win over Tracy Sykes, and ET Motorcycle was Jerry Turner getting the win over Tim Sutton, 
And as you mentioned earlier in the high school category, Gage Birch got the win over Seth Bevins. We talked at length about both of those young guys. Junior Dragster Advance Race of Champions, Gage Birch again with that Wally over Zach Goodwin. Intermediate Junior Dragster was Carly Brown over our buddy Carson Emmett from up in uh, Cedar Bluff, Alabama, in the northeast corner of the state. Another young, talented racer that we're going to hear a ton about as he transitions into big cars in a few years. And in the novice junior dragster category was Hayden Hall getting the win over Nolan Callahan. And let's talk about some NHRA Division 7 ET finals at the Strip at Las Vegas. Yeah, just to reiterate, and I don't I don't think I stuttered earlier when I mentioned this, but Gage Birch ran the table in the junior dragster advanced class, winning the race of champions and the main event, and for good measure threw in the high school win as well. And again, if I'm not mistaken, that is seven, count them seven, you need two hands, division two championships in the last two years for Gage Birch. I don't yeah. care what your thoughts are on uh, transitioning into big cars and dabbling back in juniors like that's very very impressive <laughs> yeah gage uh, again just his talent is uh is that is is just head and shoulders above most of the people at his age and that's not a knock on anyone it's just really just trying to talk about how talented gage is luke before we transition in nhra division 7 et finals i did want to mention that bristol dragway won the championship for the track championship with the most points and i can remember going to a lot of division finals back in the day when i was chasing points at the local tracks and bristol wouldn't even send a team their race of champions guys would come down but they just the the program just the, the racers didn't care they didn't push it and and red whitmore has taken uh, that program and the DER bracket series and done great things with it and put together uh, a huge talented field of racers and sent them to the bracket finals and they come out with the championship. I think they're second in three years actually. So wow. great to see, uh, you know, I'm pretty close to Bristol guys uh, getting up there quite as or, or quite as often as I do. So good to see them get another championship and, and that, bracket program revived so now nhra division 7 et finals we're right at the top of our list we'll talk about auto club uh, dragway getting the the points championship and what looked to be very competitive uh, shootout between tracks uh, big nasty at sonoma his team coming up second and rocky mountain raceways as they transition to no more drag racing there uh, going forward, they go out in the third place position, so not a bad finish for them. Good to see them still be able to put a team together and go out and compete. Auto Hashtag club team away. extinct is what I saw there. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I guess that would be uh, an appropriate name. But, uh, in the Super Pro category in the main event, uh, Zach Mazir of the Mazir family gets the win over Lonnie Grace. So young Zach, another uh, young, talented racer that uh, could have been added to the list that we talked about earlier. Uh, in the pro category, Scott Joins got the win over Bobby Marizio. And sportsman Henry Robertson got the win over David Rudd. And motorcycle was Don Caesar over Dave Miller. 
Now, keep in mind, listeners, in Division 7, it's one of the few divisions, I think it's just Division 6 and Division 7, that actually send the Race of Champions winners to Pomona for the runoff. Unfortunately, we did some digging, and we were unable to find results from the Race of Champions, so we'll have to bring that to you maybe next week. I do know, just from social media, that our good friend Bobby Dye got the Race of Champions win in Super Pro, so he will be the Division 7 rep. You mentioned earlier, Zach Mazir won the Super Pro main event. The way that NHRA does this, if you can follow along, there are seven divisions, obviously. There are uh, each of the Summit World Championship runoffs in Pomona features an eight-car field. So in each class, they award a wildcard contestant, and that's done by a random drawing earlier in the year in which they award one division uh, a second berth. Well, that berth in Super Pro went to Division 7. So this year they awarded both the Race of Champions winner, which typically gets to represent Division 7 in Pomona, and the main event winner. That means that both Zach Mazir and Bobby Dye will get to compete in that World Championship runoff in Pomona. And that just completes what is, I think, top to bottom, the most prolific field of Super Pro entrants ever assembled at Pomona. This thing is, I'm super excited. And every class, I mean, you you get that opportunity to go to Pomona. It's an awesome shootout. And obviously everyone that is in that eight car runoff in every category is very deserving of being there. But specific to Super Pro this year, we have national names. We talked about Jeremy Hancock earlier. Maybe not an, as nationally known, but Jed, you and I know that dude can win anywhere, anytime. <laughs> yeah. Super talented racer. He's going to be your Division Two rep. Mikey Sturgill, the Division Three rep. I don't know if anyone has won more races in Super Pro this season than Mikey Sturgill. We've talked about some of his accomplishments. Remember, he ran the table at the bracket finals, won Race of Champions and Super Pro. A week or two prior to that, he won a day of the 10 Grand Nationals at Norwalk. I was told that I think it was the weeks leading up to Norwalk, he went on something like a 24-round win streak at his home track at Kilcare. That's, I don't care where you do that, that's really impressive and specific to everything that I hear about the competition at Kilcare. That's really impressive. So there's your Division Three rep. Randall Reed, the Division Four rep, needs no introduction. He won this year's Spring Fling Million. Jaron Miller's the Division Five rep. We mentioned Bobby Dye and Zach Mazir coming out of Division Seven. Plus, there's two guys that I don't remember from Division One and Division Six who, just because I've said this, one of them will probably win because I'm not talking about them. Did Vinny Domeno win the Division One? I would remember that. Maybe he won Race of Champions. Okay, maybe so. I don't know. If he did, and I'm not mentioning him, sorry. <laughs> uh, we'll have a full rundown of Pomona. We'll preview that because it is one of the biggest shootouts of the sportsman drag racing season. So we'll preview that as Pomona gets closer. But again, that super pro field just stood out to me as we uh, really every step along the way. And now as all the bracket finals are done and finished in each of the seven divisions, that is the class that stands out to me as like, man, I know everybody that's going to Pomona just about, you know, I mean, that's a, that is a serious, serious group of super pro racers. They're all red hot and they're going to Pomona. Well-deserving. You know who else is red hot? Big Jed. Who's that? I'm going to say it's the 15 guys and gals (laughs) that JJ is about to rattle off from the month of September. Without further ado, JJ's top 10. It's that time again with the little golden voice of drag racing, JJ Bennington. It's time for JJ's 
So as promised, it is time for JJ's Top Ten. It's one of our favorite segments. Uh, unfortunately, Luke couldn't join us for this one with a, a prior commitment and JJ's schedule not working for everybody either. He's got uh, some commitments of his own that's uh, keeping us from being able to all be together. But JJ is still glad to have you tonight. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good, doing good. Got out of school today, thankfully, for a teacher work day. Oh, man, so you enjoyed Teacher Work Day or Columbus Day. Whichever reason you needed to be out of school, you you got it. So that was, uh, I'm sure, an enjoyable day for you. Yes, sir. How is seventh grade treating you, bud? It's pretty good. Just pretty good? Yes, sir. Okay, no more big surprises or nothing crazy happening that's uh, just reminding you that you're not in elementary school anymore? No, sir. Oh. Okay, excellent. So, are you ready for your top ten this week or top fifteen? It's it's JJ's top ten, but now we've come to realize it's actually top fifteen, top five, and three categories. You you up for it tonight? Yes, sir. Okay, and I want to remind everybody as we're talking about your top five in each category this week. This we're kind of a week late. This is for September performances. So. Uh, some people may have some wins fresh on their mind from some big races, and they're wondering maybe why those folks didn't make your top five in each category. But uh, October will be on its own when we get to that segment, uh, first part of November. So this is for September top performances only. No better place to start than our junior dragster category, bud. Who you got in the fifth position? Number five is going to be Brendan Nuttall. Uh, he won the kids racing for kids race at Darlington Dragway. Yeah, really cool event there. Brendan Nuttall, just a young guy getting his uh, junior dragster career started and a nice race there at Darlington. Kids racing for kids, and it's important to, to all of those youngsters. Good to see Brendan come out on top. Who makes the number four spot? Number four is going to be Andrew Goss. He was the runner-up in the, NA, the IHRA division four bracket finals and won the track championship and mocan dragway this year yeah mocan uh missouri kansas border out there mr goss he, he had a fine fine performance actually runnered up i think the world finals last year so running up in those big races but securing a track championship put him on the list great job by that young man who makes your number three spot bud number three is going to be evan Mutchler. he was on last month uh, he won the AHRA Division Bracket Finals, Division 5 Bracket Finals. Yeah, Evan performing extremely well this year. Great to see him back in the winning spot. Nice big win there at the Bracket Finals for him. How about number two? Number two is going to be Kiyoki Disa. He won on Saturday the Wally Race and Sunday at the Junior Race in Las Vegas which our good buddy Nate Hershey, the announcer, the voice of the Flings, went back to his hometown of Vegas to announce that race. Yeah, big division race out there, I believe, for the juniors. Uh, really nice, big race full of a lot of talent and young Kiyoki. 
coming out on top with a double up. I think he won the championship out there as well at Vegas. So a really good performance by young Kiyoki Desa. What about your number one junior dragster for September? A lot of people are not going to be surprised to see this kid once again on the list. He'll be on a lot in the near future. Carson Emmett, he won three different championships in the Midwest Junior Series. Yeah, Carson, obviously a year-long accomplishment, but uh, wrapping those up, I think it was a Sportsman B category, if I remember correct, maybe the 10 to 12 championship as well, and uh, the 890 championship, if I can remember exactly what Carson won, but three championships in the Midwest Junior Series, just phenomenal, phenomenal season again for Carson. That young man is very talented, and we're going to continue to hear a lot about him, so great job to Carson, Gary, Teresa, everybody in the, the Emmett Racing Clan there. And congratulations to Carson for making number one on your junior dragster top five. That was a really good list, bud, getting us started out right. How about we move to bottom bulb and you give us number five. Number five is going to be Donnie Hagar. He won modified at the IHRA Division 5 bracket finals. Yeah, and Donnie, you know, when you think about winning modified at the bracket finals, that's a big deal, a really big deal. But when you couple that with the season he's had, he's just won, won, won. So uh, really very deserving of being on your list as we were going through the accomplishments for people in September. Donnie jumped out to us, so jumped out at us. So congratulations to him for making number five big win there at the bracket finals. How about number four? Number four is going to be Chris Moran. He won modified at the IHRA Division One bracket finals. All right, another situation there, Chris Moran, he wins the bracket finals and he's done this several times now. He's going to Memphis, obviously, to try to win the world championship and modified. But again, a great win there at the bracket finals. When you add that to what he's accomplished throughout the year, it's hard to continue to improve on what a great job by Chris there making number four. Really excited about how this list is going. How about number three, big guy? Number three is going to be Jimmy Hidalgo, Jr. He won stock and runner-up super stock at the NHRA Division II race at South Georgia Motorsports Park. Yeah, Cooter performing extremely well, um, cracking the bottom in stock and super stock. Uh, really is continuing each week to have uh, great results, and that's a big deal. They're almost pulling the double. Uh, getting a, a win and a runner-up in stock and super stock, respectively. So great job there by Cooter. Good to see him making your list. How about number two, big guy? Number two is going to be Dustin Ward. He won the $12,500 race at the summer send-off at Rocky Mountain Raceway. Yeah, Dustin Ward, and he got by, I believe, Andy Schmall, if I remember correctly, uh, which is a tough, tough out on the West Coast or anywhere Andy's racing. But that's a really big deal for a bottom bulber to win a $12,500 race out on the left coast or anywhere for that matter, but especially out west where they don't get that many opportunities. Huge deal for Dustin Ward. Great to see him. And that was a Saturday-Sunday combination where they uh, got rained out, I believe, on Saturday and had to combined purses on Sunday. So big, big win there for Dustin over a very tough opponent, very deserving of uh, making your list. How about, and this is going to be no secret either, but how about number one, big guy? Number one is going to be Jake Howard. He won pro and sportsman at the NHRA Division Four bracket finals and also won modified 
at the IHRA bracket finals two weeks later. Yeah, Jake Howard, just unbelievable performance there. Uh, very deserving of your number one spot. Three championships and uh, just a couple of weeks span there on the NHRA and IHRA side. Going out to Pomona, going to represent Division Four in both pro and sportsman. Huge deal for him. Guys won already several bracket finals and then gets both of the HRAs in one year. That's a really big three-division championships in a single season is really strong. And Jake Howard, our buddy Jake, very deserving of your number one spot on the bottom bulb in JJ's top ten. So that takes us to the super pro category, bud. And tell us who you got in the number five spot. Number five is going to be Jeff Burns. He won on Thursday at the 20K race at Bristol, the fall fling. Yeah, our buddy Burns, uh, he cracked me on the way to that win, and it was a 20K win. You know, obviously, that's a great payday, not the biggest, but as we were looking at that, knowing Burns and how good a guy he is and how much he helps people at the races and does all these wonderful things, always smiling, just couldn't help but put him. Yeah, Team Slushy, and he, he makes us the – the unleaded ones. Thank you, Burns. We appreciate that. But couldn't help but put him on the list. Uh, that's just a huge accomplishment for Burns going four thirties out there, just loving life. And we're very happy and proud to have him in our number five spot. How about number four? Number four is going to be Mike Sturgill. He won Super Pro Race of Champions and Super Pro Main Event at the NHRA Division Three Bracket Finals at Indy. Yeah, Mikey Sturgill, a huge accomplishment. We talked about that on the show. Guy, Another guy, very deserving. I think he come back maybe a week later and, and won another race right behind that. Just a great September, awesome month for, for Mike Sturgill, and uh, just huge accomplishment there with the Race of Champions and the main event win at the finals. Extremely hard to do. And uh, he is, again, another guy that deserves his spot on your list. How about number three? Number three is going to be Marco Paravalaris. Mm-hmm. Won the 25K main event at the summer send-off at Rocky Mountain Raceway. Marco Paravalaris, another very young, very talented racer that has put his name on a lot of big checks and uh, winter circle celebrations. A $25,000 win. Again, I don't mean to diminish what the West coast has to offer their racers but when we were looking at that and looking at all the big winners $25,000 win is big anywhere in the country or the world for that matter but when you do it out there it just seems to have a little extra special tone to it because those guys again just don't get as many opportunities Marco as talented as anybody in the country and a guy that just wins no matter where he goes so great to see Marco score a huge win out there on the West Coast at the summer send-off, Rocky Mountain Raceway's, I think, last bracket event that uh, they will ever have. So that has to be huge for him. Had to feel really good. Who's next? Number two, this is no surprise, Corey Galetti, who's been red hot, won a 20K and a 10K on the same day at Dragway 42's ACE event and won a Race Tech Dragster chassis at the Bristol Fall Fling. Yeah, Corey had a really, really strong two-week span there where he collected the the 20 and the 10 on the same day at uh, Jacob L. Rod's race there at Dragway 42. 
a really big deal for him. Very young racer, still junior dragster eligible, but out in the big cars, uh, getting it done, making huge paydays. Him and his dad, Chris, traveling around, doing a lot of racing, having a great time. So really proud for him. Corey's a fine young man, very respectful, and uh, great to see him get that win and back it up by winning a race tech dragster chassis at the Bristol Fall Fling. Awesome two weeks for him. That's not all he's done this year, but that was what he did in September. So really big there for Corey. Making number two, somebody had to perform extra special to outdo that and score number one. And I don't think it'll be a surprise either, but who you got? Number one's going to be Rocky Pinavale. He won the 15K on Wednesday at the Bristol Fall Fling and then backed it up on Friday by winning the 50 grander at the Fall Fling. And also was named the Todd's Extreme Paint MVP. Yeah, wow. I mean, who hasn't heard this story, especially if you listen to this show, you've heard us talk about Rocky Penta Valley quite a bit. Took his 590 Mopar-powered three-speed Mopar to two big final rounds at Bristol. Won them both. Got $15,000 on the warm-up day on Wednesday and then comes out on Friday's 50 grander and collects that payday as well. Just an unbelievably good performance by Rocky Penta Valley. And coming out here and, and scoring the Todd's Extreme MVP behind those two big wins, just a dream weekend for him. It was uh, it was fun to watch, fun to be a part of for both of us, but we enjoyed hanging out with Rocky and Birdie and all the guys celebrating. So really, really big accomplishment for him. And again, very, very deserving of your number one spot in the Super Pro category. JJ, you knocked it out of the park, big guy. It was uh, that was a great list right there. Really good job doing your research and putting some guys on your list, putting that together. Uh, how'd you feel? Did you feel like you brought your game, your A game tonight? I did. I just need to – I messed up on one part. I feel like I should have made my – like an honorable mention – on the bottom ball side, you know, I did run her up that golf cart race. <laughs> yeah, you can put yourself in there. You did good. That's uh, That is something we should mention right there. Super proud of you. That actually happened in October, so we would have talked about that maybe next month when you come on the show. But why not just talk about it right now? Your last three golf cart races, you have two wins and a runner-up, you run it up Saturday or Friday night at the House of Smoke race at our local track, Holiday Beach. Really big deal for you there. Brand new golf cart. You went from electric to a gas. You had one time shot. Actually, you got two, I guess. You adjusted really nicely and got after it, bud. I was very proud of you. You're, you're a golf cart racing machine. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. So, again, thank you so much, bud, for putting your list together coming on the show again hope everybody enjoyed your segment you have band duty at uh, junior high football games so it conflicted the schedules a little bit so again i hate that luke couldn't join us for this i know he does too because luke really enjoys this segment but we'll make this thing work next time around in early november in the meantime have a great outing tomorrow at your junior high game and uh, just appreciate all you do for the show bud you're the best 12 year old correspondent in the world thank you all right have a good night jj thanks for joining us
All right, Luke, special thanks to JJ for his top 10 slash top 15. That was a, a fun segment and a fun list to go over. Congratulations to everybody that was able to make that list. We'll get back into some results where we'll talk about the IHRA Summit uh, Sportsman Spectacular at Farmington Dragway, where yet again we had the bottom bulb racer come out on top on the $10,000 to win main event where Hannah, quote unquote, bubblegum blevins, they call her bubblegum, got the win in uh, the $10,000 main event over Taylor Davis. Luke, you know, we've talked about the year, the no box. You know, Hannah, she foot brake races, so let's don't make, make sure we don't get those confused. She swaps feet, but she takes the foot brake win over Ernie Humes on the no-box side of things and then transitions into the top bulb category and gets a $10,000 payday over Taylor Davis. Nasty. It is the year of the bottom bulber. I've also heard it rumored that it is the year of the woman. Hannah yeah. Lemons is both a bottom yes. bulber. And a woman. Yes, that's uh, that's what I'm hearing as well. Nick, and they call Nick her bubblegum. Shout out. <laughs> and they do call her bubblegum. She don't play. She is a very tough racer. She's had a few big paydays in her career. And getting this one, I'm sure, was very, very fun to do, especially taking out the top bulber. She wasn't the only winner, though, in the junior dragster category. Cameron Wisnett got the win over Slade Kenser. Sunday's 5K to win race uh, that you get in free if you pre-enter Saturday's race. So that's a really good deal that the IHRA is doing. Glad to see them have a good event there at Farmington. Jeff Bauman got the win over Hank Thomas and collected his $5,000 payday. And says Philip Harrison got the $500 bonus as the final no-box racer on Sunday as he bested Todd McKinney in the bottom bulb final. Todd, my buddy, races up around Bristol area. So good to see Todd making the, the bottom bulb final, but Philip Harrison collected him an additional $500 from IHRA, so good for him. And Sunday's junior dragster winner was Dylan Goodnight over Sailor Bustle. So that wrapped up the uh, IHRA Sportsman Spectacular there at Farmington. Congratulations to those winners, especially you, Bubblegum. That was really cool. Luke, you talked a little bit about one of the big winners at the 10-tuck bracket bash there at Beach Bend in Bowling Green, the final 10-tuck of the year. And uh, you happened to be there, so you got to see this firsthand. I did, but Jed, I was completely oblivious to the first part of the wreck and go, that being the wreck. Like, I was there. I knew we were down for a little <laughs> while. I had no idea why. This was the story that we teased earlier. We were talking about Christopher Martin, one of several young guns to really make a splash this weekend. His day ended in the quote-unquote big bucks winner circle. Um, that's at Each day at 10 Tuck, they have a big bucks race, pays $10,000 to win. A little bucks race that follows it that pays $5,000 to win. Christopher drove his Monza to the big bucks win. That's how the day ended. That's a high note. They did not <laughs> begin on a high note, Big Jeff. No, he did get the $10,000 win, as you said, over Shane Blackburn. A uh, huge win for him. But when you consider how the day began for uh, my team bad guys, teammate there, it was an uh, extra special win. So uh, they had made a couple of changes, a couple of maybe suspension settings and change converters and this and that, trying to get the car to to do exactly what they wanted it to do. And 
it seemed to be working pretty well, but Larry, Chris's father, decided to make the first time run just to get a feel for it because he wanted to, instead of having Chris give him the information, he just wanted to feel it for himself. It was a free time run. So he said he goes out and gets to the water box and sees a little something in front of him when he when he's sitting there and he waves Chris over and says, hey, see that? You know, it's just like, nah, it doesn't look like it's coming out of here. He said, okay. So he back, he does his burnout and he said, coming out of the burnout, it felt a little funny. So he, he backs up and doesn't see it anymore. So he feels like whatever he saw sitting around the water box, he's good to go. Well, the car wheelie is pretty good. It's got a nice little stinger wheelie bar on it. And it, you know, it gets front tires, um, foot and a half, two foot in the air when it's doing it right. And it was just coming down out of the wheelie, and it's not a violent wheelie. It's a really nice, pleasant one, but it was coming down out of it. And unfortunately, what Larry saw yeah, around the burnout box was fuel coming out of the fuel cell where the fuel cell cap was not on. It's front-mounted cell. Cap was not on. In the wheelie, it dumped probably a gallon or so of alcohol. And, Enough to and be a problem. <laughs> inevitably, yes. It got under the right rear tire. And turn Larry around sideways, um, headed to the wall. He gets on the brakes, spins it around, and clips the wall with the, the wing and the very corner of the right rear quarter panel. Does some damage, hits the wheelie bar, bends it a little bit. They, uh, they're all upset, obviously. Very nice mines, by the way. Very well built and put together. And it scuffed it up pretty good, but... As they assessed the damage, obviously they realized, hey, I think we can, uh, I think we can race this thing. So they get it in shape to race it, where nothing's falling off, going down the track, and the wheelie bar all straightened up. And then Christopher takes it to a ten thousand dollar payday. So the day couldn't have started any worse and couldn't have ended any better. It's one of those really cool stories. As a side note, Jed, and I know, or I would assume that you are aware of this, uh, but I was talking to Larry a little bit later in the day and was informed that Larry had driven Chris's Monza one other time. And on that occasion, he backed over a golf cart in the pits. So <laughs> shout out to Larry Martin. And uh, I, don't, I don't think Chris is going to allow you to drive the Monza either. No, his track record isn't very good, but Christopher <laughs> totally made up for it. So that was a really cool story, and uh, great to see those guys. That's that's my teammates there. Great to see them get a big final round win at an event and track that they love so much. Friday, Luke, they had the Little Bucks race, which obviously the $10,000 win is the Big Bucks. On Friday and Saturday evening, as you know, they have a Little Bucks race, which is 5000 to win Todd Sensony. Got the win over Steve Law, Todd, coming off of a $10,000 runner-up on a Sunday at Huntsville the week prior. Then gets the big win here in the Little Bucks race over Steve Law. This is one that if you weren't there, you wouldn't know and wouldn't otherwise be talked about probably. But the Cincinnati family really put on a show at Bowling Green. They're highlighted certainly by this $5,000 win Friday night from Todd. Todd also got to the final, I think, five cars in the $10,000 race that Christopher Martin won. That was in his Firebird. He won the Little Bucks race in his Dragster. A day later, Todd's daughter, Taylor, 
advanced to the semifinal round of the $10,000 to win big bucks race in the family station wagon. And there she turned it red. I don't know how red, but prior to that, Taylor Sensony was plum nasty, like laid down sub seven, two or three rounds uh, leading up to the semifinals. Uh, and her brother went deep in the, in the little Chevy too. Like I think he made it to fifth or sixth round one day as well. So the whole Sensony family putting on a show at Bowling Green only resulted in one final round, but I thought it was pretty impressive with all the cars there that they were keeping up with for everybody basically to have some success. Yeah, cool story there in the Sensony family, uh, starting with Todd, just a wonderful group of people that uh, does things the right way, uh, very respectful of their opponents and just helpful at the track. Really cool people. So always great to see those kind of folks doing well, especially the Sensony family. Luke, the Saturday Big Bucks final round was won by Tyler Sizemore over Kelt Loudon and uh, Kelt with a really cool Chevy 2 wagon there coming up a little short. That's another good guy, and Tyler with the, the big win. Congratulations, Tyler, for that. The Little Bucks final says it was won by Darren White and defeated somebody named Cool Hand Luke Bagaki. How'd that end up? went to test my wife's car to figure out what was wrong with it figured out what was wrong with it and when i did it got plum nasty and carried me to the final where i turned it red to darren white but whatever i did was not the story darren white winning that race pretty cool story darren's been going to tentuck for basically all his life i think was going as a kid and he's not a kid anymore tentuck's been around a long long time this is his first tentuck win and not only that Darren typically drives a engine dragster and broke it in that day's big bucks race was going to be done, um, was going home. And his friends, um, Kurt Harrington, Jeff Wright, talked him into uh, entering the little bucks race in Jeff Wright's pristine Chevy two. Uh, and the way that I heard the story, Darren had to be coaxed into that pretty heavily. Get in the Little Bucks race, no time trials, guest at the delay box setting, and uh, eight rounds later, he is hoisting his first 10-tuck winner's check. So I hate wow. that I was on the uh, receiving end of that, but still a really cool story. So kudos to Darren White. Yeah, no doubt. A great story there. Some lots of great stories within this event. And uh, on Sunday, all they have, quote-unquote all they have, is a $10,000 to win main event. As uh, people start parting the ways from the facility there after they go out. But that was one by a guy who just never seems to have a season that he doesn't perform very well along the way. And that's Jeremy McKaggy. Jeremy obviously had a great weekend at your event at the Summer Door Car Shootout at I-57, Luke. And uh, he does extremely well around home. It seems like he gets he likes to get out to the ten tuck, performs well there. Getting him a big ten thousand dollar payday in his Vega wagon over Jeremy Maple is another very talented racer there. So sure that was a great final round. But that wrapped up all of the big and little bucks races at the final ten tuck bracket bash of the year. Luke uh, looked like it was another good event. But um, maybe not quite as good as they wanted it to be. But with so much racing, you know, just get in where you fit in. 
Yeah, there was a lot of competition on the weekend. As you can tell, we're probably an hour deep into this podcast, and we haven't gotten to all the racing that went on last weekend, um, obviously with the SFG event at Rockingham. And then closer to home at Bowling Green, they were up against uh, IHRA bracket finals in Memphis, NHRA uh, bracket finals in Reynolds that would pull some of the, the Nashville and Southern cars. Louisville had their door slammer nationals. Like There was a lot going against uh, the Tintuck, and they still had... I didn't get an exact count, probably 120, 140 cars. Not bad, you know, not where they're losing money. But we talked early in the show about how we were going to get into some unsubstantiated rumors. And this is the first of those, the unsubstantiated rumor floating around Tentuck. And again, I have no insider information. I tried to confirm this and didn't really get a straight answer. But the rumor floating around Tentuck was that this weekend's Tentuck could potentially be the last. And... If that's true, mm. uh, two things. Number one, it pains me personally because I am a, I've am made no uh, bones about the fact that I'm a big fan of Beach Bend Raceway Park and the Jones family, and I just think they do an awesome job, and I love going to that place. And I was thinking about it, you know, as waxing nostalgic a little bit. I think I attended my first Tentuck in either 1999 or 2000, and I haven't been to every one since, but I would say at least once a year. You know, I've, I've made the journey of that race, and yeah. – it's still a, a special race to me and, and a lot of people. And on the bigger picture, that series, I don't know when that started, but I would venture to guess that that's been going on for 30, maybe 35 years. It was one of the original big dollar bracket series. Those of you that go way back know, and this is before my time, Jed, that the name Tentuck comes from that series was originally contested at Clarksville Friday night. Music City Saturday and then made its way to Bowling Green Sunday. Yeah. Um, since I've been going, all the races were at Bowling Green, still called the Ten Tuck. But a lot of history there. And I think if that's the case, and again, this is an unsubstantiated rumor, there may be no truth to it. Ten Tuck may come back next year, maybe bigger and stronger than ever. But if it goes away, I think it speaks a little bit to the the current climate. And I'm not one, like, don't take this as the current climate of big dollar bracket racing. And don't take this as me being pessimistic. We've said before, it, it's the golden age of big dollar bracket racing. And we've talked about how next year, the opportunity is going to be there to run at least four races that pay a quarter million dollars to win or more. With five years ago, we would have never dreamed that we would see that. But something has to give. And to me, it's these quote unquote in between races that by and large, and there are some exceptions, seem to struggle in this market. You've got the mega events, these 50, 100, $250,000, $500,000 to win events that seem to be wildly popular and successful, right? They're doing great. And then you've got the races like the prime example is what Bones and Andy are putting on at Huntsville, the, the drive for 75s. That's a super cheap entry fee, what, 100 bucks to run two $7,500 races that are wildly popular and hugely supported. Mm. These in-between races, the races that we'd always categorized as big dollar bracket races, 310s, uh, 10-20-10 even in today's day and age, they fall in between and they seem to be very hit and miss, I think largely because the quote-unquote traveling pros or the you know the the touring bracket racers now there's opportunities to run for 50 plus thousand dollars seemingly every other weekend it's hard to get excited to go race for three tens 
right? And to the point that there's so many of these huge races that there's a segment of racers that you know you want to break, you want some time off, and you almost feel like, not to say that you're above racing for three tens, it's still a lot of money, but it just doesn't feel like it when you come off racing for three fifties or three hundreds or whatever the case may be. And yet that race, you know, specifically the ten tuck or any race of a similar format, is still expensive enough in terms of entry fee that I think it weeds out your weekend warrior, you know, that could drop a hundred dollars to run the two days at Huntsville. You're talking five, six hundred dollars plus buybacks to run ten tuck. It's just one of those in-between races that in this climate I hate to say this, like it just doesn't feel like there's a market for right now. So this current format of events, whether it's the big, big mega events or the cheap entry, you know, decent winners purse race, like that, though both of those are thriving. But what we're doing right now is very self-serving. Like it's great. This climate is awesome for me, Jed. It's awesome for you. We are experienced racers that already have the money invested and the time and energy invested in our racing program. It's established, and now we have the opportunity to go out and race for more money than we probably ever dreamed that we would be competing for. That's great, but what happens when, and it's not if, it's when, our economy takes a turn and everybody can't spend, you know, or these 500-plus racers can't drop 1500 to $2,000 on you know a weekend a month, seemingly, to run these huge events. Or a better question is, what happens 20 years from now? Because what are we doing as a sport to promote the next generation to bring up new racers? I think while this is awesome right now, and I don't want to poo-poo what's going on today, because it is. It's incredible. It's a day I never thought I'd see. I do think that the future of our sport has very real roadblocks. And no one who really seems to be addressing them. And if, in fact, this unsubstantiated rumor is true, like I said, I just hate to see a series like Tentuck be a, a casualty of that, but I almost think it's inevitable. Yeah, good point, Luke. And I love what's available to the racer today. You know, it's life-changing money at many, many events throughout the year. And it's really cool to see these things play out and see people win that type of money on that type of stage but if this is true and again let's hope it's not because I, I think i've heard this the last couple of years and maybe that's it's a just, good point too everybody's yeah. just worn down from a long season and when the off season gets them refreshed you know we're excited and ready to put the tin tuck back on again and let's get this thing going but if it is true shame on us as racers for for letting a legendary series like this which is truly part of the foundation of what has helped us get to this point in racing if we let that die shame on us as racers so more more racers should get out and support great events like this and you know it ain't like ten thousand dollars is chump change if if i want it uh, at any time during the season i'd be tickled to death if i won ten thousand in a race that paid a hundred thousand or two hundred and fifty thousand, I'd be tickled to death. So <laughs> there's no time I could win ten grand and it wouldn't make me happy. So if we can get these guys to bring the ten tuck back, let's let's do the right thing as racers and support these events and, and keep them alive. So Luke, let's uh, pay a few bills and then we'll come back and talk some more race results and then get your ever popular points implication breakdown. I'll be on the 
I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Besides building race engines, did you know that Seabrook Performance builds custom calibrated race carburetors? They offer anything from their Street Strip Series 4150 carburetors at $550 up to their Pro Series Dominators at $1,400. Super Performance also offers a rebuild and calibration service for racers that are looking to freshen up and improve performance on the carburetor they currently own. So they'll rebuild yours as well. Each carburetor is custom tailored to the customer's application. Do you want out-of-the-box performance that can take you to the winner's circle? Then call Seabrook Performance today at 785-286-6813. Seabrook Performance, performance that's proven to win. Jed and I are proud and excited to partner with Brandon and Chance, who is a familiar face on, or a familiar voice, I should say, here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE. That's how we refer to them here on the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. That is 20 years. Uh, as we mentioned before, it is a young man's game. I do not feel like a young man. Um, BTE has quite literally powered every race every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether that's a complete top dragster or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item. The folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. You can shop online at BTE Racing. You do the Kevin Brandon, lay the smack across the land, then you do the L ride and you come out like the world champ. You've been waiting all in a The biggest race of the weekend, certainly the richest race of the weekend, and I think without question the most well attended. We talked about it a little bit earlier in the show. The Super Bowl of bracket racing, the SFG event at Rockingham over the weekend, featured two days of quote unquote warm-up races. That led into the main events, which were Friday, Saturday, Sunday, $100,000 to win each day. Huge, huge turnout at Rockingham. It seems I saw that one day the entry mark crested 560. Um, And as you could imagine, uh, some of, if not the best racers from all across the country converging on Rockingham Dragway to do battle for huge, huge purses. Yeah, Luca, it started out big crowds from the get-go. Wednesday was uh, huge. I think it went over 400 or something on the very first day for $10,000. Tommy Plott, uh, stop me if you've heard that before, gets the big win uh, with an 8,000 package, perfect dead eight in the final round over T.G. Pascal, which is a guy that I'm sure he has paired up with 
uh, literally hundreds of times. And um, a couple of North Carolina guys keeping the money in the house, getting it started. On Wednesday, Thursday's uh, 20 grander was won by Eric Thomas. Eric got the win over Gary Ingold. Gary always seeming to show up in the late big finals, uh, late rounds at big races. Um, and Luke, I should have mentioned that their format is, because I heard a lot of talk about how door cars kept making finals, just so everybody knows their format is such that they run the dragsters down to one and the door cars down to one where they uh, pair up with one another in the final round. So, yeah, it would be news if you didn't have a door car dragster final at NSFG race. Yeah. Not sure how they <laughs> yes, <pulled> it off. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, Eric Thomas with a win over Gary Ingold to wrap up their warm-up races. Then it gets into the the first of three $100,000 to win races. So, obviously, we know this thing started out with a big crowd. But by the time it rolled around to where there was $100,000 paydays, the crowds uh, crested 500, I think, on the first day, and by the weekend, they were up in the 570 range, which is just incredible. Great job there by Kyle Riley and A.J. Ash and all the folks that are associated with the SFG staff. Um, the winners were nothing short of uh, just all-stars. Sugar, Shane Carr, gets the big $100,000 payday on day number one over John Lasseter. Uh, I know that was a big win for Sugar. He's He's been all over it here lately, getting close. Got close at the 50 at uh, Fall Fling and then uh, comes out here and gets a $100,000 payday. So, huge day there for him and John Lasseter. I know was very happy with his portion of the winnings. I uh, saw what he posted on Facebook. So we rolled into Saturday. Another, again, $100,000 to win race where the young gun, Jason Catfish Lynch. Oh, no, that's right. <laughs> Jason's not a young gun. He's been racing longer than those young guns have been alive. Uh, finished about 3 o'clock a.m., I believe. And the old guy gets it done for $100,000 in his S-Dime, his Chevy S10 truck, Luke, over one of the young guns you mentioned, Kyle Cotrera. I know uh, that was a big win for Catfish. He's obviously won on huge stages, uh, been in a lot of big money final rounds, but uh, that, that had to feel really good there, especially considering the amount of hours put in to get that 100000 on Saturday. Yeah, without question. And you just think, like, I, maybe we take this for granted because we expect Jason Lynch to win big races and be in big finals. And it seems like he's done this as quietly as you could do this. But think about the last calendar year for Jason Lynch. You remember he was in the final round of last year's Million Dollar Race, lost to Johnny Ezell. Mm -hmm. He started off this season in the S10 that you mentioned uh, in the final round of, I believe it was a $100,000 to win event at Reynolds, Georgia, where he was runner-up to Lane Dickin. We talked recently, um, just over the summer months, same S10, in a $50,000 to win final round at the Ultimate 64 shootout where he lost to Dennis Mead. We made a big deal of that, about that because it was no split. Uh, here's Jason in his fourth final in the last calendar year that paid over $50,000 to win. <laughs> his third in this S10 that they've owned for less than a year. 
Now, it's the first time that he turned on that last wind light, so I know that that's special. You know what I mean? That means a little bit more. Sure. But you just think about that accomplishment. Now, granted, Jason's in a unique position. He gets to attend just about every one of these races that pays $50,000 or more, but there's still not more than – what, 40 individual days a year that you get this opportunity to drive to the final round at four of those events in a calendar year? Uh, that's rare air. Yes, it is. And uh, this is a guy that, when it's all said and done, if he's not already on your list, will be uh, way at the top of um, the best that's ever done it. I mean, just has performed at a very high level for a very long time. And obviously still has a lot left in him. Uh, Funny Sundays. story because Catfish is my boy. Yeah. <laughs> Saturday morning, I'm at Bowling Green. I'd, I'd text him something. I had a race pack question, one of the cars that we were testing. And he texted back, struggling with my S10. Now, keep in mind, there's no time trials on Saturday at SFG race, 500 plus entries. He said, so for today, I'm going to drop the launch RPM, 1,000 RPM, and pull 12 degrees of timing at the hit. The question for me was, how much delay do you think I ought to take out? To which I said, I have no idea. Who in their right mind is going to drop that launch RPM, 1,000 RPM, and pull 12 degrees of timing with no time trials for 100 grand? <laughs> he texts back, I thought I hit, I took whatever, 35 out, thought I hit it and was 24. I said, did you win? He goes, no, but I can buy back, bam. Right? That's what the text said, no, but I can buy back, bam. <laughs> I hear anything else from Jason Lynch until about four o'clock that morning, and the text says, and I'll quote, crack them bleeps. That was it. <laughs> there you that go. That sounds like our boy Cassie. <laughs> uh, that's him. He's, uh, he just don't care. He does it his way, and it seems to work very well. Um, so, obviously, Luke wrapped up on Sunday with another $100,000 payday to wrap up the week there at Rockingham. And Marshall Grooms put his name on a list of huge winners as he got his first really, really big payday. Great to see Marshall get that win and got it over a guy that is no stranger to huge final rounds, uh, a lot like we talked about with Jason Lynch. Dave Triplett, you know, I mean, he's, uh, what, won the million, runnered up the million, um, I know he's won $50,000 door car shootouts, lots of big paydays in his racing career. Um, another guy that just doesn't ever let the moment get to him, does extremely well, performs well on the big stages. And good to see Dave take the, the Vega to another big final round, get a runner up there on the last 100 grander of the week. Yeah, that final, Marshall Grooms over Dave Triplett, uh, that's huge. But did you see the semi on the dragster side? I know you did because I think it, the the time slip or the video screen went viral. Uh, I must have missed it somehow. I'll miss a viral from time to okay. time. <laughs> that semifinal dragster side, Marshall Grooms against Scott Taylor. This Keep in mind, this is ninth round of a $100,000 win race. I don't know the exact time. It's after 2 a.m. on the the day number last, whether you've been there three days or five um, it's two o'clock in the morning on Monday morning. Everybody's been racing for uh, a month. Scott Taylor and Marshall Grooms matching perfect reaction times. Marshall Grooms dead on eight. Scott Taylor, one chick lit under. Perfect take nine. 2 a.m., ninth round, 100 grand. 
no good. Oh, wow. Yikes. Now, wow. as I mentioned earlier in the show, Big Jed, it's a young man's game. You did say that. Your winners from Rockingham. <laughs> Shane Carr, Tommy Plot, Jason Lynch, Marshall Grooms. As I said, it's an experienced man's game. I'm not going to call anybody old. But there's value to old age, treachery, and experience. It like does pay off. off at times. <laughs> yeah, just like you've always said. Yeah, that's how I open the show, right? <laughs> it does pay off at times. And uh, those guys should be commended, especially, again, uh, job well done by the SFG staff, getting all of that racing in with those huge crowds. But still takes a lot of hours in the day. And you look at the amount of birthdays among those winners you listed, and that ain't easy to do. It ain't easy to stay up that late, and, and it's even harder to stay focused and do what you need to do on the racetrack. So great job by those guys. Great event, and congrats to some people for some life-changing days on the racetrack. So, Luke, we'll move into the IHRA Division Two West Summit Team Finals. That was held at Memphis International Raceway. Where Beacon Dragway come out on top as the number one track uh, beacon there in the Paducah, Kentucky area gets uh, the win over Memphis International Raceway as they come in second. But looked like a hotly contested uh, top five shootout there among those tracks. So congrats to Beacon and all of their racers. Um, Jesse Bobo, the Bobo family, very well known for turning on wind lights in the Memphis area. Gets the win over James Barnes in the main event. Jared Bargo got the win in Modified in an all-mountain park final. Gets the win there over Jack Spivey. And in the junior category, Chloe Wilson won a all-Brainerd Motorsports race over Dave Brown. So congrats to those winners. And again, Beacon Dragway for getting that big win there for their well, somewhat new racetrack. Luke, that'll take us to the AAA Texas NHRA Fall Nationals um, I'm there in Dallas. That seemed to have a lot of stuff happening around that event. Yeah, so this tell is us the, what the stood bugs. out to you. I guess we'll, we'll close the show with a little bit of NHRA action and the, I don't know, the, the hubbub that surrounded this event. I don't, I don't know this, this is a good trend for NHRA. On the racetrack, um, Top Sportsman was won by Lance Rutland. That is the son of former NHRA world champion Lyndon Rutland. Lance got the win over Brian War. Um, Brian made the trip out from, I think he's from Utah, pretty good haul to uh, Dallas. Uh, looking like a top 10 finish uh, in the Top Sportsman ranks for Brian War. So kudos to both of those guys. The story from Top Sportsman. Unfortunately for us, Jed, because we're big J.R. Loebner fans, um, for the second consecutive weekend, J.R. Loebner lost in what would have been the go-ahead round um, in the national points chase. If he wins second round mm. at Dallas, he takes the lead. He fell in the second round at Dallas. He still trails um, Doug Crumlich by less than a round. That brings him to an interesting decision. We discussed this last week, the the logistics of JR getting to where he needs to go. And now he's almost forced his hand. Like he's, They finished Dallas on Monday. Um, JR has entered in Charlotte this weekend. I assume he is heading to Charlotte this weekend. He has one national event remaining to try to better a second round loss. Charlotte is the only remaining national event that at which top sportsman is contested that in and of itself not that crazy 
you know what I mean? Leave Dallas, go to Charlotte, you had a chance to win the world championship. The problem that it presents for JR, as we mentioned last week, is that he still has one divisional event yet to claim. The one that would make the most sense for him is in Noble, Oklahoma, also this weekend. You can't be in Charlotte and Noble at the same time. In order to make enough races uh, or to make the maximum number of races, JR will likely be in Charlotte, North Carolina this weekend, be home near Kansas City for a few days, and then head to the other coast to make the last division race in Las Vegas. All of that Hello. probably could have been avoided. Um, Low-key, might have got a pardon yes. from the governor because uh, you must not have saw it today, but I believe the event in Noble was postponed uh, this ah. afternoon due to a terrible cold and rainy forecast. I believe they have moved that to the last weekend in October, if I remember correctly. But That uh, is Good news for J.R. Lopez. Yes, good news. Yeah. <laughs> that will likely <laughs> save him a trip to Las Vegas. Not that um, J.R. loves Las Vegas, but coming off a trip to Charlotte, that's a little rough. Um, <laughs> yeah. Back to Dallas, top dragster is won by Darian Bosch. Uh, got the win over Mallory Rogers. The win, obviously huge to international event at any time. In terms of points implications, too little too late for Darian. Um, was a national championship contender earlier in the season. Is out of national events. This one didn't count for his point score. But just gets the wall, he gets the money. Good on him. Super comp, Jackson Collier got the win over Big Steve, Steve Williams. Super gas saw Casey Plazier get the win over Joseph Lokog. This was a unique accomplishment. I didn't realize that this was Casey Plazier's first NHRA national event win. I just assumed he had gotten a few along the way. Casey's very talented and very um, established racer on a lot of different levels. But this was his first national event victory. And it brought about uh, what I think, anyway, is, is a bit of a rare feat. It means that Casey, his sister Frankie, and their father, Eddie, each have at least one national event uh, Wally, to their credit, I don't think there's many father-daughter-son combos that can say that. I actually got into a little fun discussion with Austin Williams and Kevin McKenna today. Shout out to Austin and to Kevin. Um, trying to figure out who else, what other families had done this. Um, so I know that you're looking at the sheet in front of you, Big Jed, so I probably can't quiz you. I'll give our listeners like <laughs> 10 minutes to think about this. Can you think of any families? We, we came up with one, two, three, four. We came up with five. Um, I, I'd give anybody kudos to name like two. And keep in mind, we probably missed a few along the way. But um, in addition to uh, the Pleasure family, uh, families that I know have done this, uh, the Andersons. Brad, Randy, Shelley Anderson of Top Alcohol, Funny Car, and Nitro fame. The Kennys, a little bit more familiar to us in the sportsman ranks. That's Al, Jason, and Samantha, who is now Samantha Coughlin. The Johnsons of competition eliminator fame, Cordis, Michael, and Marianne Johnson, uh, each have national event trophies to their name. This is a little blast from the past, Big Dead. Do you remember the Highland family? I do not. John, Sean, and Tiffany, I think that those were mostly in the alcohol ranks. I want to say Tiffany Highland had a stint in a fuel car as well, but I may be mistaken. And the one that I know you're familiar with, um, 
the Lobners, who we just got done talking about, John, Jr., and Jerrica, may she rest in peace, each with national event wins to their credit as well. Again, I know that we forgot some, so message us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page if you can think of any other father-son-daughter combos to have um, – hoisted national event wallies over the course of their career. As it pertains to points, Big Jed, the win puts Casey Pleasure in the top 10 in Supergas, and he's technically got a chance to overtake Devin Eisenhower and win the Supergas title, but he would essentially have to win his last two national events, and seeing as he already won Dallas, that means he would have to win his last three national events. If he were to pull that off, that would be the story of the decade, much less the season. Uh, an interesting note here, too. Tim Nicholson, who we talked about, was it last week? Week prior. The week prior. Tim Nicholson, uh, it is, if you haven't heard, the year of the top end throttle stop in the superclasses. <laughs> Tim Nicholson, who is banging gears uh, at the Linko in the Camaro, top end throttle stop, 990 at 100 miles an hour, has uh, what has to be the most fun car to drive in Supergas and gives the oddest look and has a ton of success. He was a top 10 national finisher a year ago, so this isn't a flash in the pan. The last three weekends, we talked about Tim when he won the national event in St. Louis. He followed that up with a runner-up at one of the double divisional events at Great Bend. He followed that up with a semifinal finish in Dallas. All of a sudden, Big Jed, Tim Nicholson has a chance to win the NHR World Championship in a Linko-equipped small block Camaro with a top-end throttle stop that goes 990 at 100-ish miles per hour. Yeah, uh, super cool. A bit of a long shot. He goes to Noble, which will not happen this weekend, but is coming up soon. Um, improving a first-round loss. If he were to win that race, or if he were to make the final, assuming it was a seven-round race, he would take the national points lead, overtaking Devin Eisenhower. That sounds like a tall order, but keep in mind, the last three events, the worst Tim Nicholson's done is losing the semis. So Devin Eisenhower's got an eye on him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pretty incredible. And and again, Chris Garrettson, Tim Nicholson, if you haven't heard, it's the year of the top-end throttle stop. I have heard that, like, somewhere. So, in Super Street, Val Harmon got to win over Barney Barnhart. Val's second national event win of the season, by the way. He won at Joliet early in the year. Yeah, big win there for Val. And the Super Stock category, uh, you talked about Rambo swinging for 100 and 101 all within just a little bit of time of one another, come up short on both. Uh, Brandon Bakey's was part of the reason Rambo come up short is Bakey's got the win over him in the super stock category, which moves Bakey's to third in the world standings right now. And, uh, of course, he's on Team K-Mac. But uh, that was a big deal for Brandon Bakey's right there, Luke. Yeah, he just joins what has become a logjam of title contenders suddenly in the Superstock category. The top five, which includes Justin Lamb, currently leading, defending champion, uh, Brad Zaskowski, now Brandon Bakey's, who moved into third place with this win, Anthony Bertozzi, and Chris Cheney. That's your top five. They are separated by just 21 points. That is slightly more than two rounds of competition. They each have races uh, remaining to claim. It's going to be whoever does best at their last. They all have one or two races left. Um, that could be anyone's championship of those five, certainly. the Probably the biggest uh, story from Dallas as it pertains to NHRA points was the absolute clutch performance from Brian McClanahan, 
Team Luke. <laughs> Brian McClanahan got the stock eliminator victory over our boy Cooter. That's Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. Yes, Cooter was formerly Team Luke. This win, so clutch for McClanahan. They made the trip to Dallas all the way from California. The only way that he takes the national points lead from Justin Lamb is to win the race. He does just that. He is currently one point ahead of Justin Lamb in the national standings. Um, this thing isn't over, but if Brian McClanahan doesn't win, let me pull this up just to to give listeners a, a little indication. Here's what Brian and, and Brian McClanahan is subject to improve, and I'll get to that in a minute. But as of right now, you get to claim eight events towards your national uh, points ledger. Brian McClanahan's eight events, runner-up, win. A third round loss that again he had now he has an opportunity to improve. Runner up, win, semifinal, semifinal, win. So mm. if he can knock out that the, he's got one one finish of the eight races that is not a semifinal or better, and he's got one, two, three, four, five final round appearances. And he's not a lock to win this championship. He's only one point ahead of Justin Lamb. Uh, and there are others in this discussion. Um, he's probably not done. Like I say, he's improving a third-round finish at national events. He still has Vegas and Pomona to improve that. So odds are he's going to stretch this up over 700. And he may need to because I'm not sure that 690 holds up. Jeff Taylor has a shot. Uh, Jeff Lopez, Thomas Fletcher have a shot. They're more long shots. I'm not sure Fletcher's even going to make a run at it. And he's raising a, a, a young baby uh, may be done for the season. Uh, Lopez would have to really get on a roll, but he's got the races left to do it. And he's certainly capable. He's a former national champion. And the aforementioned Justin Lamb, not out of it. Um, the, the dilemma that Justin Lamb has is he has one divisional event left to improve, and he's improving a semifinal loss. He has to win round five before he earns a single point. If he were to win the event, his ceiling, the most points that he could possibly score, would be 721, which is a rare feat that you put up 721 and don't win the national championship. But again, McClanahan has two national events remaining. He could eclipse that mark and just remove all the drama by winning round five at either one of those national events. He would have more than 721, making uh, Justin Lamb to, to steal one of your phrases, Jed, mathematically ineligible. And as I picture this now, like without having a, a rooting interest per se in Stock Eliminator because I'm a, I'm a fan and a friend of Justin Lamb at the same time, Brian McClanahan, Team Luke. I would prefer to win our, <laughs> our, our battle here. But this is just how I want this to go down for the story. Okay, I kind of outlaid the situation and, and who's got what left. I want Brian McClanahan to maybe not improve or certainly not win round five at the Vegas national event. And then I want Justin Lamb to win the Vegas points meet because he's Justin Lamb and because that would be clutch and that would take the lead, right? And the only way then that Brian McClanahan could retake the lead would be to win Pomona. And then I want Brian McClanahan to win Pomona because that's the way this year should go. Like these guys are putting up ridiculous scores. They they each have uh, seven semifinals out of eight claims. That would be a fitting end to this season if those two just keep throwing uh, daggers back and forth. 
Yeah, so obviously a lot still left to, to be finalized, in the, especially in the stock category, but other categories as well. So, again, very much looking forward to seeing how things play out. But, Luke, that was a, a lot of storyline within the, the race there at Dallas, but that doesn't seem to be what everyone is, is leaving there discussing. No, the, <laughs> we we talked about what happened on the racetrack. the The story from Dallas seems to be uh, the the feeling of sports racers leaving the event. Lots of unrest among sportsmen competitors uh, specific to that event. And I'm I'm going to go a, a variety of different directions here with my my take on this, or I guess my summary of it. I don't even know that I necessarily have an opinion. I don't have the the answers necessarily, but I want to go through a couple of things, Jed, and feel free to, to interject as we go. I just want listeners to, to hear me out a little bit. This, I, I guess, what is it? You know, twice could be a coincidence, three times is a trend. I don't know if this is a trend yet, but we've left now the last two national events, um, St. Louis and Dallas, with um, disgruntled sportsman racers. And I'm normally not one to attack NHRA. I think they're way too easy a target. Um, but even I got onto them. I, I was I was um, critical of some decisions that were made at St. Louis, particularly um, not getting that second top dragster session in and the, the bizarre rerun of the super comp round between Tommy Phillips and, um, and Cole Cummings. But the, the criticism directed at NHRA after these two events, everything that I'm hearing and, and seeing on social media, that criticism is coming from what I would consider to be unlikely sources. Because you always get people complaining about NHRA, right? That it's, again, it's an easy target. But you don't hear complaints coming from former world champions, from people that have frequented NHRA events for a long time that, that you would assume enjoy going to those events because they keep going back. Uh, I'm talking to racers that have run NHRA for, for a decade or more and been very loyal to it. You're seeing Facebook posts from someone like Tommy Phillips, very, very critical of the decisions made and the way that things were run. And that, I think, for most, has to be alarming. Um, just as a quick recap, and I talked to a handful of, of racers that were there the the complaints from Dallas and I think they're uh, justifiable. Um, the there was a lot of rain and uh, the schedule got pushed back several times. But uh, Sunday afternoon after the pros have finished, I believe Super Gas round three is in the staging lanes and everyone in the staging lane watches the all of the track prep equipment leave the facility like it's on a trailer headed down the highway, headed to Charlotte. And there are still four to five rounds of most sportsman classes to be contested. Okay, that's alarming. Um, very minimal staff um, for the conclusion of the event, Saturday evening and then into, I'm sorry, Sunday evening and then into Monday, uh, which included no typical NHRA winter circle, no NHRA backdrop. All of that was packed up, headed to Charlotte. Uh, yeah. It was just... You know, when that national event, it's very anticlimactic to begin with because it's Monday, the fans aren't there, um, and you're just in the regular Texas Motorplex winter circle, no different than you would be for a Saturday night bracket race. This was bizarre, but I, I had several racers tell me that this was the case, so I have to believe it's true. Uh, the national event tree was taken down Sunday, I assume sent to Charlotte. 
Monday eliminations were finished with the regular Texas Motorplex tree. And don't take that as like the the super classes was still a 370 tree. Like nothing technically changed. But you go from the blue LED stage bulbs that we see on TV to the regular yellow stage bulbs that you would have at a weekly bracket event. That's that's jarring when you're going in the fourth round of a national event or whatever the case may be. Um, Supergas probably got the, the brunt of this. Supergas round one was actually contested Thursday evening with weather on the horizon. Supergas round two, Sunday morning, four days later. Supergas round three, Monday. That's a long weekend for your Supergas, wow. guys. And uh, I think even more so than that, you you run into situations that are beyond anyone's control, weather-related, things like that. And I think for the most part, racers are understanding. But it just seemed like there was a lack of communication, a lack of knowing when we would race, if we would race, um, just not not communicated well between NHRA and the racers. Um, case in point, the round three of Stock Eliminator – uh, was scheduled the way that I understand it um, at when the schedule was put out Sunday morning. Uh, they were going to finish pro eliminations completely before getting into any round of stock. I think stock was already into round three. Um, as the, the, I believe the semifinals were completed uh, for the pros, looked like rain was on the horizon. So many racers are loading up. At that time, they get a text, stock to the lanes. So everybody mad dash. Wow, I thought we were running after the pros. Uh, We'd just load our cars up because it's going to rain. Let's get them out, get up there for round three. Um, Hustle to the staging lanes, only to be kept there while uh, like Top Alcohol Dragsters run, Top Alcohol Funny Cars run, Competition Eliminators run, Top Sportsman, Top Dragster run. Uh, Apparently there's an oil down somewhere in there, and we just go ahead and run the final round of the pros, after which um, the rains do eventually come. Meanwhile, those stock eliminator racers in round three spent like two hours in the staging lanes and never went down the racetrack. Um, Mm. And you're talking about, what, eight pairs of cars? Does it take ten minutes? And granted, like I get that you're up against schedules and things like that, and maybe you don't have 10 minutes to run stock eliminator, but if that's the case, why call them to the staging lanes? You know what I mean? It just seemed like sure. a, a communication breakdown. Now, in NHRA's defense, there was obviously weather issues all weekend, and there were weather issues at St. Louis. Um, so the, the, some sessions were lost due to rain. Um, and, and I understand you're finishing this race in Dallas – there's a race next weekend in Charlotte. So all of that stuff, all of that equipment has to be in Charlotte. But I don't know when. I would assume Wednesday, maybe Tuesday. I, I don't I don't know how much time it takes to put all that together. It's not a simple task. I, I can only assume. So that's a tight window. But I think the main issue here is that racers were left out of the loop and I think largely feeling unwanted. And that's what I'm hearing and seeing. And I've got an interesting like I obviously have some experience here, Jed, and again, I'm not one to to jump on the bandwagon to bash NHRA. I actually enjoy um, going to NHRA national events and attending them and racing in them. I have for the at least the last five years or so. And keep in mind, 15, 20 years ago, I never thought I'd be caught dead saying that, right? Because I just wanted to race yeah. and you get to race a lot more at bracket races, but. Uh, the things that I like about NHRA competition, first and foremost, there is a lot of, of BS that goes with NHRA racing, and you realize that you're not the priority, right? It is a pro show, and you, you take a back seat as a sportsman racer. So there's a lot of stuff that I don't love 
about the experience. But once you actually strap the helmet on, that type of racing is way more fun than like eighth mile bracket racing, simply because usually to win an NHRA national event, you have to drive the finish line. Like it's quarter mile. There's a long time between rounds. Like there's just an added challenge to it mm-hmm. um, that I really enjoy in this day and age. And for uh, a, a family, you know, which is how I go racing now with my wife and, and now my two sons, um, it's a cool atmosphere. It's a slower pace than a, a bracket race. Like I go bracket race, particularly if I run two cars, um, I don't get to spend much time with my family. I don't get to spend much time with my friends at the racetrack. Like I'm going for two days, three days, whatever the case may be, racing. Um, in an NHRA race, it's a slower pace. So there's more time to catch up. There's more time to spend that time together and, and catch up with friends. Um, and there's something to watch, you know, so if you get bored with that in the pits, you go up to the stands, watch Top Fuel, watch Funny Car, the kids like that. Um, and there's cool stuff off the racetrack in the midway and autograph sessions and, you know, stuff to do that it's more of an event than anything. And I like all of that. Um, what doesn't, I, I, I'm, I'm perplexed a little bit by this turn of events. I'm um, just knowing what I do about NHRA and, and having run it for so many years because, if I just I try to think about this from an HRA standpoint, and I think about okay, the sportsman classes at a national event to me uh, are an obvious money maker. Like you just do the simple math, you get seventy entrants at three hundred plus dollars each. It's twenty one thousand dollars. The total purse for each category is maybe like seven grand. That's a pretty significant profit per class. Mm-hmm. You know, times however six, seven, eight sportsman categories per race, like that adds up. Um, but let's not kid ourselves. As sports and racers, while we do contribute to that profit, we're a small piece of the pie. They're selling out national events uh, everywhere across the country at, at record pace. Ticket sales are up. I would assume that's due in large part to this television package that I think is by far and away the best television package that NHRA has ever had. So all of that takes priority. Like We have to put on a show for those fans. And we have to meet the TV deadlines and the TV time. That's very much what the national event package is structured around. I get that. I think most sportsman racers get that. Um, uh, the NHRA races, particularly in the last like two years, are severely understaffed. Um, and, and I attribute that to, to bean counting, which oh, I understand. we all got to make a profit, right? Um, but there are very few officials for parking. They basically cut out sportsman tech at national events. Um, which seems surprising, but it, it's really like going to a big dollar bracket race. Like we police ourselves. I mean, there are spot checks and that's all. There is no tech at national events. Um, again, to cut back on staff and just at track staff in general, like if you need anything, it can be difficult to find an official. So for NHRA, like that's, that's cutting expenses. But if we're in the business of, of counting beans, so to speak, why then? Do you have eight sportsman categories in an event and have to to limit the quota to 50 or 60 cars each because of time constraints and parking constraints at several of these venues? Why would you not, instead of having eight categories with 50 cars, why would you not have five categories with 80 cars? It's the same revenue. It's the same space taken up. It's the same amount of time to run the race, but you cut out three or four class purses. Like you make more money. So if you're counting beans... You know, if that's the the mo here, why not do that? Like that that confuses me because everybody says, well, NHRA is all about the money. Well, if they're all about the money, you wouldn't have top sportsman, top dragster, and super street at national events. Like you would have less 
classes and bigger fields. You'd make more money. Um, now, this is completely unsubstantiated rumor, number two of the podcast. Uh, and this is one, like, I haven't even really heard this anywhere. I'm just kind of connecting the dots myself. Um, <clears throat> Kevin McKenna, when he was on with us in July, alluded to this very vaguely, uh, the, the need or the desire of the NHRA brass to shorten the the Sunday show, to make it more of a show, more of a, a monster jam type of atmosphere, easier for the modern day audience to digest in two to three hours sitting, right? Rather than expecting uh, attendees to, to sit in the stands for six hours to watch that show. It makes sense. Sure. If that's the goal, where do the sports and racers fit in or the better question, do we fit in? Um, I, for one, I, I would like that. I, w I would like to continue to fit in. I, I do, as I said, enjoy national event competition. But maybe uh, I'm a creature of habit and a creature of what I know. Like Maybe it would be better for everyone if this was separated. Um, or as has been floated out there, there's some sort of compromise. Like I've, I've heard from several racers that uh, the answer may be that sportsman fields are, are significantly limited at national events to the point that they're almost uh, invitation only. I don't know how that works in the grand scheme of things, but I've heard that as a potential scenario. I, I don't know where this goes, Jed. And I said this leading in like I was going to ramble a lot without necessarily a, a conclusion. It's just another chip that, <clears throat> in my opinion, is yet to fall. It's yet another reason that while we're in this extremely healthy and exciting state, uh, in the current state of sportsman drag racing, in, in real time, I, for one, think that the future is really muddy. And I'm not sure where any of this goes, where it ends up, or what it looks like 20 years, 10 years, maybe even five years from today. Yeah, like uh Obviously, the entry fees and, and everything that the sportsman racers are bringing to the table are a revenue stream, a, a profitable revenue stream. But, you know, the NHRA, and I know they're not listening to me, but uh, if they did, I would caution them to be extra careful on how they approach some of these rumors and how they handle them going forward because memberships, uh, the amount of memberships out there for people that might go to an event are a really big revenue stream. So, you know, don't don't give people a reason not to be members. Um, hopefully they don't and they just kind of uh, enhance what they're doing just a little bit for the sportsman racer and, and keep them part of the show. I think that would lead them to the best results. No, it's intriguing because everything that is done from the NHRA perspective, I, I have this feeling and, and it, this, I may be reading this all wrong. I have this feeling more than ever that it's being done uh, with a greater vision in mind. I just can't, I can't wrap my head around that vision. Like I don't, and, and I guess as a sportsman racer, I don't know where we fit in or if we fit in um, to that vision. So I, I guess more than anything, interested to, I guess, sit back with everyone else and see where this goes. And at the same time, concerned about what it means for the rest of us because it certainly seems as if again from the outside uh the sportsman racing community particularly at the national event level is less of a priority than ever good point so we'll 
end right there, and we'll come back and let everybody know what's on tap. Honey, where are we racing next week? It's time to discuss next week's major events, news, updates, releases, and announcements. It's what's on tap! So, Luke, as per normal, there's plenty of racing available uh, this weekend, pretty much on whatever type of racing you like to do. The NHRA Carolina Nationals are going to be held in Charlotte. You talked about J.R. Loebner and some guys being entered. I know there's a hurricane coming up through the Gulf Coast. I have no idea how that uh, might affect Carolina, but I know it's going that way. So hopefully those guys have a good event and get to avoid that. There is the uh, Triple Tens Million Dollar Warm-Up Race at Huntsville Dragway, the Huntsville Engine Race there to get everybody good week of racing or good weekend of racing before the million next week, which I'm sure we'll talk about plenty. Capital Raceways got their top ET 10K and 5K race. Uh, they've had a few of those this year. I'm sure that'll be well attended. Uh, there's Big Bucks Brackets at Redding, California. For you West Coasters looking for somewhere to do some Big Bucks racing, you've got that available to you there at Redding. And as we talked about, the NHRA Division Four Lucas Oil event that was scheduled at Noble at Thunder Valley Raceway has been postponed Again, I'm not real sure of the date I saw, but I believe that it was around the end of October. So plenty of racing available. Get out and go do some and enjoy yourself here towards the end of the year. And, uh, guys, that's uh, going to wrap up this episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. I want to say thanks to our great sponsors, BTE and Siebert Performance. Those guys are really good. Thank you, J.J., for your top 10 slash top 15. Great breakdown there. Enjoyed that segment with you. And uh, Luke, it's our most fun time of the show. It's shout out time. Sure, I'll keep this brief because I have this feeling that we're pushing two hours with the podcast. So if anyone is still listening, shout out to you. And this is typical this time of year. We've talked about this before. Lots of racing, ET finals, point stuff down to the wire. Once we wrap things up, obviously, we'll shorten these up. But uh, it may be the vocal minority that we're, we're hearing, but we actually get positive feedbacks when we have these crazy long shows. So those of you that are still listening, obviously, you are uh, enjoying it. So or either that or you have absolutely nothing better to do. And shout out either way. I do want to shout out my buddy Lee Newmeyer. This is Bracket Racing Elite member who brought it to my attention via Messenger that – Big Jed, our our hero, and the man that I've dubbed as the odds-on favorite to win the 2019 NHRA Stock Eliminator World Championship in his Pinto, Derek <laughs> Elam. Lee Newmeyer pointed out, I think we mentioned this when we talked about Derek's win earlier in the season at uh, Boise, I believe it was, that not only is Derek at the wheel of a Pinto, it is a Pinto station wagon. Extra oh. cool points for that. Yes. Uh, without question. Again, Derek Elam, two-time Division Six finalist this year. And again, if we're handicapping this, I think, without question, the odds-on favorite to win the 2019 NHRA Stock Limiter World Championship because it is absolutely, without question, <laughs> the year of the Pinto. Shout out. I don't even know if I can say this on the show. Oh, no. Um, no? All right. Just shout out to Jeremy Hancock, then. I will go. I won't go with the nickname. Nice work. <laughs> Jeremy, good luck out west. Shout out to Christopher Martin, Larry Martin, and Kyle Seipel, original inventor of the Wreck and Go. I don't think Kyle ever intended for it to go to the level that Larry and Chris took it to, 
But shout out to everyone involved in the Wreck and Go. That was, Luke, by the way, that was not in a Pinto, but it was a Ford Escort, which <laughs> close enough. <laughs> <laughs> An Escort and a Monza at that. Shout out to Bubblegum, Hannah Blevins. Did the nickname come from like running out of Bubblegum? You know, I don't know where the nickname come from, but I just know it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think Hannah went to Farmington to chew bubblegum and kick bleep. And at some point, she did run out of bubblegum. So, <laughs> you do what you got to do. Shout out to my man, Racing Jason, Catfish, man of many nicknames, and all of the quote-unquote experienced guys um, that got wins at Rockingham. Um, like I said, it's a game of experience. It's, a, it's just an experienced man's game. I'm saying <laughs> Shout out to the Top End Throttle Stop and Tim Nicholson and Chris Gerritsen. By the way, Chris Gerritsen, Team Luke member, on his way to Charlotte and then Rockingham. Go, Chris, go. Shout out to all the Team Luke, specifically Chris Gerritsen, Brian McClanahan, Anthony Bertozzi. I didn't give myself any chance all of a sudden. You're telling me there's a chance. Come on, guys. Yes. Bring it home. And shout out to producer Mark's niece. That's Abby Romeo grabbing a runner-up in a $600 to win Junior Dragster Race. She is just nine years old. Shout out to Abby and shout out to Mark as well. Great job, Abby Romeo. Guys, be sure to tell us what you think. Message us right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Uh, You can send us a direct message, private message, whatever you call it. And tell us what you think about the show, what needs to be better or what is going great. We love to hear from you. Or you can at either Luke or myself right there on the Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. It's been quite a long show, but it was a lot of fun, and we appreciate you sticking out and listening to it. Can't wait to talk to you again next week. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot-breaking in it. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.